Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I would overdose. I'd come to with like, you know, sometimes I would come to on my own. I'd have a needle hanging out of my arm or I'd wake up in the shower with the water on me and my dad freaking out. He's like giving me black eyes, like trying to like slap me and revive me. I mean, this is before they had like Narcan and shit, you know. My guests today are Adam and CJ from Mantra Recovery in Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the show, guys. My name is Adam Tripp, and I'm a co-founder of Mantra Recovery. And I'm CJ Sias, uh, also co-founder of Mantra Recovery. Awesome. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's always cool to connect with people in the Dallas area because I'm in the Dallas area. You guys are in the Dallas area. I love meeting people in the recovery space that are also in the same area as me. And I'm excited to hear more about Mantra Recovery, hear a little bit more about you guys and your recovery journeys and kind of what that looked like, how you guys got to that place of coming together and starting Mantra. So I was a uh, IV heroin user. I struggled with addiction for over 20 years. I went to 14 treatment centers. Uh, I've been to prison four times and uh, one behavior modification program. I've overdosed on heroin at least four times. I even had open heart surgery due to endocarditis. It's basically a staph infection from uh, shooting a speedball developed in my bloodstream. I was about to die, man. So 150 pounds, temperature. My mom's a registered nurse, and I just happened to be at her house because I had gotten sick, and my temperature was like 104. Yeah, I, I was about to die. She and I had a uh, an abscess like that was in like it was in between my hip. Like I, I think it was in the muscle of my hip, so I couldn't walk. Uh, yeah, it was pretty bad, man. And uh, 
work the 12 steps uh, multiple times. And, you know, I'd get a, a year, 10 months, 11 months, and then go back out. And I've worked the 12 steps through uh, regeneration. That's the 12 steps through Christ. I think Watermark created that. I worked that when I was at a kind of a sober living, faith-based sober living called Grace Place Properties. And I worked the 12 steps of AA twice. I've uh, definitely got experience in, in this, you know, um, with addiction as as well as recovery. Some people say that relapse isn't part of recovery, but it's part of my recovery. You know, I'm a hard-headed motherfucker, man, and I learn best from experience. You know, you can tell me, hey, man, don't do that, man. This is going to happen. And then uh, in my mind, well, I'm not you. <laughs> Let me give it a spin and see how that goes, you know. I'm also certified peer support specialist. I was, have you ever, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Turtle Creek Recovery Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a facility manager there. I did case management at a the Tamar program, which is uh, more transitional housing. Just with with my experience in recovery and then working with other people in recovery. Actually, so the way I met Adam, I was a client at Turtle Creek, and Adam was the facility. Uh, manager or coordinator back in like 2012, 2010, something like that. That's when I first met Adam. And of course I didn't, I I completed the treatment there. I didn't stay clean, but I liked, you know, Adam's story and he gave me some hope. He inspired me. I was like, this motherfucker can get clean. I may have a chance, you know? So throughout the years, we stayed in contact. And then I ended up joining Opiates Anonymous, which is a 12-step base program that Adam created a chapter of that here in Dallas. It's a small, tight-knit, you know, fellowship. We were real close, so even it being in, coming in and out of recovery, I stayed in contact, you know, not only with Opiates Anonymous, but with Adam as well. But yeah, uh, I've tried, you know, I did the methadone for three years, <laughs> got locked up, and man, kicking methadone? Is worse than kicking heroin, detoxing from it. Man, I was sick for like 45 days coming off of methadone. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I remember trying to, I was hitting my head up against the wall trying to get some sleep. I couldn't sleep for like 30 days, you know. I tried um, uh, Subutex and I would take my medication as prescribed, but I would start doing coke or, or doing meth, you know, smoking weed, popping popping Xanax or whatnot, you know. So, and Mantra, we created Mantra. We embrace all pathways of recovery as well as harm reduction. And recovery is an individualized journey. And what works for me or works for you might not work for someone else. I come more from a non-profit treatment background. Adam, he'll tell his story. He worked more for the um, the private. He saw some things there, but we created Mantra so people can, we can help them navigate to finding their own path of recovery. You know, yes, I had my spiritual experience and got clean this time by working the 12 steps. True indeed. And that's not the only solution to SUD, you know, or mental health as well. You know, we founded Monster Recovery to help people find that path. And we're both in recovery. And, you know, we actually give a fuck about other people, man. You know, a lot of these places, man, you know, it's all, yeah, it's about your, what's your insurance policy look like? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, do you got, are you cash pay? And then when you get out of there, kick you to the curb or send you to a, a sober living that they're in in cahoots with, you know, or you have to go here or this and that. Like, we don't operate from that manner, man. We want to help you find what's going to be best for you and what your recovery is going to look like and provide you resources for that. And also, you know, with Mantra Recovery, I'm big on being active in the community. We have events where, like, we're feeding the homeless, being a service, you know what I'm saying? We look for opportunities and even created opportunities for other people to come be of service with us, man. It's not all about money with us, man, because we've been right there where people are at, homeless, strung out, family don't want to fuck with you, you know, no resources. Yeah, that's that's the place that we're coming from with this, you know. We do interventions. Um, we do wellness slash integration coaching. We do safe transports, uh, mobile drug testing, family support, and... Wellness companion. Yeah. It's a lot, man. <laughs> <You're fine. laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I got one question for you, CJ, before before Adam jumps in. So you you mentioned like that whole laundry list of the different treatment centers you went to. You went to prison four times, like all these different attempts at recovery. So what was different this last time, do you think, from the previous attempts that, that you made at, at trying to get clean slash sober? To be honest with you, man, I wish I had a... A just straight up answer to you for that? I don't know, man. I mean, because I've had, you know, links of sobriety and recovery before, but I'd end up, it's it's when the good things would happen that I would fuck up. Like, yeah, and you know, maybe it was fear of success. I'm used to being in a fucked up situation, and it, it was when good things will happen that I needed to be on guard, you know, you know, getting in relationships, getting a job. Man, so many, man, I will say this getting a vehicle, man. <laughs> Almost every time I got a fucking car, I end up relapsing. Mm. Yeah, I, I had a pattern of that, you know. I would get that vehicle and isolate, you know, not not be connected anymore, you know. Really, honesty was. Are you 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 work the twelve steps? You a twelve step guy? Yes. So, uh, even after working the steps, man, looking back, I did service work. I prayed, but that step 10 is where I would be lacking. Not looking at my conduct every day, you know. Uh, I didn't want to get high anymore, but I wanted to fuck every, every, <laughs> Every fine lady that passed by, you know, with a big booty and some big titties. So, <laughs> um, and then I would lie. I, w- I was, you know, with someone at that time. I would lie to her and be cheating on her and not looking at that, not being honest, man. Stealing shit with money in my pocket. I wasn't looking at my conduct. So that that's the difference this time. Like, I realized that my spiritual my spiritual awakening happened um, after doing my six and seven. That next morning, after I did my six and seven, I woke up and shit was just different. Like I could hear birds, and like I was like, "Whoa, okay," you know. And then during, you know, my hour of prayer and meditation, like I broke down fucking crying, man, during, during it and fell asleep. I was in the, in the 24 hour club, man, in the meditation room and I had got off work and I went in there and like, I put my head in a chair and got on my knees, man. And I was praying, you know, about, you know, I had my list of, um, my my defects of character and all that shit like on a, on a pad, and I you know I was in there just praying and shit, 
Man, I just start, I couldn't, I start crying. I couldn't control it. And then I ended up falling asleep in that chair. The liaison came and woke me up. It was like 1030. He came and woke me up at like one that morning. It's like, hey, bro, go to, go get your mat, man. What are you doing in there? So, and then the next day, everything was different. And it's progress, you know, not perfection. I'm more aware of how I treat others, you know, and that anything I do, you know, you can call it, call it karma or whatever. It's going to come back, man. You know, lying, cheating, stealing, that bad energy, bad energy is coming back. And I started being aware of my conduct, how I treated others and work, still working on showing love and tolerance and, and, and kindness to others. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, I mean, that totally makes sense. And I think the best analogy that I've heard of that is, is like, addiction whack-a-mole man it's like once you get one thing under control then you have all these other areas in your life where other stuff's popping up you know other defects of character and it sounds to me like you finally once you had that spiritual awakening you started to apply some of those spiritual principles you were learning in the rooms outside in your real life and i know i fell into that same category too where it's like i can go into into a meeting and i can be a saint for an hour and i can you know quote literature and and put on this show and be a great person but if i'm not actually applying those things in my life outside of the rooms then you know i'm i'm lying to myself and i'm lying to everybody else and it's when i can actually start to do those things like you were talking about like showing that compassion thinking of other people because i don't know about you guys but like i'm a self-centered i'm a self-centered guy like i my default is like think only of myself and not worry about anybody else like they'll figure their own stuff out but you know i got to i got to get out of myself and and like you said you know start showing that empathy start being of service like do things for other people and not expect anything from them right absolutely adam if you wouldn't mind i'd love to hear some of your story as well and you know cj was talking about what an inspiration you were and you guys meeting up before you guys founded mantra. And, you know, he said, if, if you could do it, he could do it. So it sounds like you got a pretty good story too. And you guys definitely hit it off and were able to relate to one another. So I'd love to hear more about your story. Prepare to be inspired. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready, man. Not really. Um, yeah. So again, my name is Adam Tripp. I basically, man, I'll do this pretty quickly. So I started shooting dope when I was 12 years old uh, with my dad. He was uh, an addict and a a user as well. Um, I won't get into all that, but I mean, I I just started really early. I was strung out on heroin. Uh, Oh, and when I say dope, I mean heroin and cocaine, mainly heroin. Um, I was strung out on heroin in middle school. You know, as soon as I was old enough to legally drop out, which I think was 17 at the time, I dropped out of school. You know, I went to juvenile prior to that. uh, I actually got court ordered in a year long residential treatment program when I was 14, 15. Yeah, 14 to 15, because I was there a year. Place called Choices in Marshall, Texas. It's like the middle of fucking nowhere. I don't even think they're open anymore, but. Um, I did a whole year there. 
adolescent facility, you know, like just group therapy and shit, you know, do your fucking chores and, you know, process family stuff. I don't know. It was stupid. And, um, I did it though. And I will say that was the first time I had ever experienced like a 12 step meeting. Um, you know, I had like seen the movie clean and sober and, uh, you know, just those old movies where, you know, they go to like AA. Um, but when I was, uh, at choices, uh, we went to a meeting in Marshall, Texas and, uh, man, it was like a bunch of farmers and shit, you know? So like small town USA. So like you can imagine just these old dudes in there, like smoking cigarettes, bitching about their day. And it was miserable, man. And, you know, I'm like 14 I'm a fucking drug addict, you know, and they're not even really talking about alcoholism. I mean, it was just a shitty meeting. So I, I went to that meeting, though, just because it was an excuse to get away from the facility and, like, pick up cigarette butts and drink coffee. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I picked up, like, chips up to nine months in that group. Got out, you know, got high immediately. You know, I went to stay with my mom for a little while after treatment and, um, pretty quickly I, I got kicked out essentially and, uh, went back with my father and you already know what happens there. So, I mean, we're shooting dope together again. Um, you know, I'm turning out all my friends, uh, just trying to bring new business to the table. My dad would like kind of dole out the doses, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, here's your bag of dope, you know, make it last or anything like that. It was like, okay, we're going to do some dope. Well, I was like instantly just this, I had this insatiable appetite for drugs, you know? So I would wait for him to like nod out, which was on a daily basis. And I would go in his pockets and, you know, steal his dope. I would, uh, I would overdose. I'd come to with like, you know, sometimes I would come to on my own. I'd have a needle hanging out of my arm or I'd wake up in the shower with the water on me and my dad freaking out. And he's like giving me black eyes, like trying to like slap me and revive me. I mean, this is before they had like Narcan and shit, you know, I mean, this is in like early nineties. Um, well, at least it wasn't re readily available at home. Yeah, man, I ended up running my dad's uh, little drug business into the ground uh, doing that and uh, resorted to a life of crime, you know, robberies, burglaries, um, theft, just dope shit. Yeah, as soon as I turned 17 and I was old enough to go to adult jail, I started going. Also, when I turned 17, I uh, so it was a big year for me. Dropped out of high school, I went to county jail, and I got on methadone. <laughs> so it's a good year. Um, <laughs> you had to be 17 to get on the state-funded methadone program. So I did that, man, and I, I ended up being on that shit for pretty much 10 years, off and on. The only times I was off was when I would go to jail for 30, 60, 90 days here and there, kick it cold turkey for a month, get back out, go right back to the clinic because it's free drugs. 
you know, my dad and I would have falling, falling outs. He would put me out of the house. I've been homeless downtown, downtown Dallas. Uh, you know, just, I just lived that life, man. Um, when I was, uh, when I was 20, I picked up uh, some felony cases that I was eventually convicted on and went to prison. Um, you know, and that was the first time where I was like, okay, this is going nowhere fast, right? Like, I do not want to live like this for the rest of my life. So I told myself I am, I'm done, right? Like, I didn't really have a plan other than I'm just not going to talk to these people. I'm going to get a job, you know, the, all that bullshit. Man, and I thought like that for like a year. I fucking got out. My dad picked me up and he was high. And, uh, I got high that day immediately, like within an hour I'm shooting cocaine. So all that shit went out the window. Then just fast forward through, I don't even know how many more years of, of just bullshit that I put myself through, picked up some new felony cases and Tarrant County court put me on bond probation where I had to call this random drug test line every day. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I am sleeping on the floor of my homeboy's dope house. And so I'm shooting dope every day. And I, I had to go to court, you know, where they put me on this bond probation. And I'm like, cool, okay. All I hear is you get to go home today. So I go and uh, I shoot dope immediately. I'm calling this number. And as soon as it tells me I haven't been chosen for a UA, I, I'm shooting dope. So, you know, I knew I was going to go back to prison if I kept doing that. I reached out to a friend and was like, hey, man, can you give me a ride to treatment, which was just going to be the state funded place. It was not to get sober. It was just to not go back to prison as quickly as I was obviously headed. And uh, he agreed, man. I, I went to Turtle Creek Recovery Center and that was in 2013. I did my little 30 days there. Um, you know, there was the whole like plethora of uh, 12 step groups doing H&I, bringing meetings up there. And I fucking, I hated it. And I just thought they were all like lame as fuck. And they all regurgitated the same shit. They came off like Christians and like a youth group or something. So I, I didn't like it, man. But, um, you know, one thing led to another. Uh, I, I Finally met a guy who actually spoke my language and he wasn't like just quoting the AA book. He seemed real. I asked him to help me and he agreed and I worked the uh, steps of AA. I did it very quickly. I waited two weeks into my 30 day uh, stay to even get started. So by the time I was discharged, I was nearing the end of a four step. Uh, I didn't know where the hell I was going to go, man. I mean, I was essentially homeless. I didn't have ID, no social security card. I was 130 pounds. I was fucked up, man. I was out on bond, you know, just a mess. Uh, I ended up getting scholarshiped into an Oxford house. And I stayed there for 15 months, man. I, I finished working the steps really quickly. Um, I ended up uh, founding the Outside Issues Group of Opiates Anonymous. Uh, and the only reason I did that, man, was because I hated meetings. 
And the requirement in the house was that you make two meetings a week. So I figured, you know what? If I have to make these shitty meetings, I'm going to start my own meeting. And that's what I did. You know, I, I ended up working, got a job for a high-end sober living home. Did that for a year. That was my first job in treatment. And then I started working at Turtle Creek Recovery Center, which is where I met CJ. Um, went from there to become a re- certified recovery coach uh, and then went to the private industry. That's where I saw how fucked up the industry is and how like when there's money involved in insurance, like how people are just viewed as um, insurance policies and they don't give a shit. And I'm not going to lie. I kind of got sucked into that because they threw a, a decent amount of money at me and they were like, do this, do this. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I did, you know, I worked my way up through a private facility from recovery coach, case manager to a facility director where I ran the whole facility, you know, and then I I left there and went back to nonprofit. But, uh, you know, my life got really good really quick because I had a really shitty life, you know, so I didn't have to go up too, too far for it to be better. Um, but I mean, really some amazing things happened. You know, I, I met a girl who I'm married to now and I'm stepdad to her three kids you know, like everything just fell into place. And, um, I I can tell you from that first day of working with that guy at Turtle Creek, I have not thought about getting high one time. Relapse is not a part of my story. And I spent 20 years with a needle in my arm. So I think that's, uh, pretty cool. Um, but I also, um, realized that a lot of the shit that I was spoon fed in these 12 step meetings wasn't actually true for me, you know, because I had this fear of relapse and like, okay, they're telling me you got to do this. You got to do that. And if I don't, I'm going to fail. Right. If I don't call my sponsor every time I'm stressed out, if I don't go to this meeting, if I don't do this, do that. And maybe it's like that for some people, but it wasn't for me. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to learn that firsthand. So we founded Mantra Recovery just in February of, uh, well, last year now, 2022, because we wanted to offer something that was different and in the way that we actually give a shit about people. And, you know, we're more, people say don't use the word affordable because it makes it seem cheap. So I'll say cost effective. Uh, we're cost effective. So, uh, we provide services, um, for much less than other people in the industry in Dallas, uh, provide. And, um, you know, we do a good job, man. Uh, we truly support all paths. I mean, that's harm reduction, man. We're, you know, part of our next outreach event is going to be a needle exchange. Um, you know, I'm, into safe drug use practices, not personally, but you know, I, I promote it because it's like, man, if you're, if you're going to get high anyway, you might as well do it in uh, a healthy way as much as possible. We support people being on mat. We support psychedelics and recovery. Um, we partnered with NeuroGlow ketamine infusion clinic. You know, we're both about to do the treatment this month, actually. 
you know, so there's just a lot of things out there that are just not AA and 12 step based that uh, works for a lot of people, man. And we support all of it. We support AA, we support NA. I mean, whatever, man, uh, Dharma recovery, whatever it is you want to do, smart recovery. I used to talk mad shit about smart recovery and NA, but it's like, man, you know what? That shit helps a lot of people. And as long as we're helping people and our motives are good and the people we're working with are moving in a positive direction, then our job is done, you know? So, yeah, man, I've been sober almost 10 years and uh, been in the industry for about eight of those 10. And, uh, yeah, we're just finally getting to a, a point to where, you know, we're not having to work for other facilities. And, of course, we do right now we have we do have day jobs but uh you know we're, we're growing pretty rapidly and people are digging what we're doing so um i mean really the sky's the limit man i i definitely see us uh just continuing to grow and help many more people i love that man and, and the mentality of you know multiple pathways and that's one of the things that i've learned just through doing this podcast and having conversations with different people because i definitely came in with a very closed mind if i'm being honest and like 12 step is the only way and then you know learning about harm reduction and stuff like needle exchange like you're talking about and just the importance of that because i didn't i didn't understand that either you know and then i'm you know i'm in recovery myself but i wasn't i never got to the point of using needles that was always something that freaked me out but yeah i mean i'm i'm with you 100 percent, man if you're gonna get high you might as well do it safely you know there's no reason to add on top of your addiction you know hepatitis or hiv or whatever else you could get from using dirty needles like i'm i'm with you 100 percent, and 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 also the harm reduction model you know that i think that that's another important key that that some people might need and i i'm friends with people now that that are still practicing harm reduction and you know, they, they are living a life that is so much better than they were before. And I think that that is what is so important. And, and, and I can't quote it exactly, but I know that SAMHSA's definition of recovery, uh, you know, not verbatim, but it says something about like making improvements in your life. You know, like it doesn't say anything about abstinence. It doesn't say anything about working X number of steps, but it talks about, you know, be getting to a place where your life is getting better. And I think that that's what it's all about. And like you said, being there to help people. And, and I love that you're talking about, you know, kind of the corruption and the, the, all that that goes into some of those bigger, uh, rehabs and stuff. Cause I know that it's definitely a very money driven industry. And I think that we can see evidence of that with, you know, people just kind of the, the, the turnstile, just people constantly going in and out and just like repeat repeat visitors and and you know not ever really trying to help those people get well i mean i think it's kind of the same thing like behind big pharma and i don't want to get like all conspiracy theory but you know you don't want to cure people you want to keep people sick because then you can continue to sell them your product and make more money and you know i'll, I'll take my tinfoil hat off but i can definitely see where that can come into the the recovery and and rehab industry as well yeah, they do that, man. Like when I was a case manager, uh, we had to do at a facility I will not name. Man, they had me doing this like uh, sort of alumni coordination kind of deal. And 
it was calling people at 30, 60, 90 day uh, marks, you know, after they discharge. But the hope was that they relapsed and they still had their same insurance. Mm. It's fucked up. And it's like, yeah. man, that whole thing that you, that people like to say in the rooms and whatever, where it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing, expecting a different result, which is not the fucking definition of the word insanity anyway, but whatever. Um <laughs> That works both ways, man. So all these facilities, letting these people come cycle through, it's like you're not fucking helping them. But that also works when I see people coming in and out of AA. It's like, okay, well, that might not be for you, you know, but then you hear those people like, oh, well, you just didn't do this. You you didn't get honest on your four-step. Well, like, no, I don't know if that's right. Maybe it is. Who am I to say? But, I mean, that shit works both ways, man. Mm. But mm. like I said, we just want to we just want to put people in a position to succeed, whatever that position is. It's different for everybody. Uh, you know, we have a, a an assessment that we use, and we help them to develop their own pathway, and you know, just point them in that direction. But I do want to just mention that we also have our own intervention model. Because there's only a few models of interventions out there. So we've developed our own. It's the mantra model. And I can tell you, since uh, February, we have a 100% success rate using it. And we also, it's more cost effective than other people. Um, But we also uh, have a buy now, pay later option on our website for families that cannot afford even what we're charging so they can like break it up into installments, you know, sort of like Klarna or Affirm and all that, which was a pain in the ass getting a company to approve us doing what we do because there was a lot of no's before we did get a yes. But um, like CJ said, man, we just want to help people. And, um, you know, sometimes that looks like us performing services for free. Yeah. And that's cool. So if there's anybody that's listening right now that is interested in some of those services that you have mentioned, what is the best way for people to find you guys? www.mantrarecovery.com. Nice. And all of our services obviously are on the website, but the prices for each service are clearly marked. You actually book the service online. It's a secure site. Put your credit card in, puts it on our calendar. We show up. Nobody else does that. Nice. Nice. You can also find us on uh, all social media platforms. Just type in Mantra Recovery. I love it. Well, guys, I appreciate both of you coming on the show today, talking about Mantra Recovery, talking about your recovery journeys. It's it's just always so great to have these conversations and see the different similarities that we have in our own journeys. And, and I love what you guys are doing, you know, trying to get away from that big corporate, you know, recovery machine and, and trying to actually help people and, you know, doing it the right way, you know, not not putting profit over people, but trying to help people and, and you know, have that like one on one, that personalized recovery for them and helping them figure out what their plan is and what you know, what program I work for them and and building that. And I think that that is so awesome and it's so needed. And I really do appreciate you guys taking time out of your day and and telling us about that. Thanks, man. We appreciate you having us. No doubt. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Adam, CJ, thank you both again for coming on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you guys, and I'm so excited to see the work that you guys are doing and excited to see people that are taking this whole recovery thing and rehab thing in a whole new direction. So thank you both for coming on the show today and sharing with us. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.